0: There's this great line I came across this week from author Brennan Manning in a book titled Ruthless Trust. It sort of awakened my spirit. How glorious the splendor of the human heart that trusts it is loved by God. I love that. How, How glorious the splendor of the human heart that trusts it is loved. If you're going to daydream over the next few minutes, daydream in that direction. How glorious the splendor of the human heart that trusts it's loved. For now, I'd like to get right to it. There's this amazing scene in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. It follows the four Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament. Uh, Acts 2, it's the story of Pentecost. Pentecost is The annual celebration of God's giving the law. The law for us feels like this burden we can't carry was meant by God as a a guiding light for our flourishing Pentecost, so was the annual celebration of the giving of the law. The people of God are gathered all together in one place and something wild happens. All of a sudden they hear the rush of a violent wind. Little tongues of fire start floating over their heads. People start talking in other languages, Pastor Jenna in Mandarin and Pastor Jonathan in Spanish languages they've never studied. And then Peter stands up to preach. The Holy Spirit had descended. Peter stands up to preach and announces the lordship of Jesus Christ and then this scene, Those who welcomed the message were baptized. And on that day, about 3,000 were added to the number and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and they gave to all as any had need. Wow, what a moment, what a sermon About 3,000, remember that number, about 3,000, count them, about 3,000 are converted to Jesus Christ and reorient their lives towards love of God, they devoted themselves, and love of neighbor, they gave to all as any had need. It's a jaw-dropping story in the book of Acts, and your jaw will hit the floor when you listen to the story that stands just beneath it. Again, if you're gonna daydream, daydream in this direction. How glorious the splendor of the human heart that trusts it is loved. Now listen to the story. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come Make gods for us. Who will go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, bring me the golden rings that are on the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters. And all the people brought the golden rings to Aaron and he took the gold from them and he made a mold and cast the image of a calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw the people, he built an altar, and he made a proclamation saying, tomorrow shall be a festival day to the Lord. So the people rose early on the next day, and they brought their burnt offerings and their sacrifices of well-being, and they sat and they ate and they drank, and they rose up in revelry. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once, your people, who you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely in the land. They have quickly turned aside from the way that I have commanded them. They've made an image of a calf for themselves and they sacrificed to it and they worshiped it. They said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I know this people, how stiff-necked they are. Let me alone that my wrath may burn hot, that I may consume them from the earth. But I will make a great nation out of you. And Moses implored the Lord, his God, saying, O Lord, why does your anger burn hot against your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and great power? Why let the Egyptians say it is with evil intent that he brought them out to the mountains to kill them? to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your hot anger. Change your mind. Do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants, whom you swore on yourself. I will multiply your descendants like the stars in the heaven. I will give the land that I promised to your descendants forever. And the Lord changed his mind. And did not bring the disaster he had planned on the people. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain carrying the two tablets in his hand written on both sides, written on the back and on the front. They were the work of God and the writing was the writing of, of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the sound of the people shouting, he said, It is the sound of war in the camp. And Moses said, It is not the sound made by victors or the sound made by losers. It is the sound of revelry that I hear. And as soon as he came to the camp and saw the calf and the people dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. He threw the tablets from his hands and they broke on the foot of the mountain. He took the calf, put fire to it, ground it into powder, scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink of it. He said to Aaron, what did the people do to you that made you bring this punishment upon them? And Aaron said, why does your anger burn so hot? You know this people, how bent on evil they are. They said to me, make gods for us who will go before us. As for this Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of them, become of him. So I asked them for gold and I threw it into the fire and out came a calf. And when Moses saw the people running wild, for Aaron let them run wild to to the despise of their enemies, he stood at the entrance of the camp and he said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And the sons of Levi gathered around Moses. And Moses says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you. Go back and forth from gate to gate throughout the camp and kill your brothers and your friends and your neighbors. And the sons of Levi did as Moses had commanded them. And about 3,000 fell on that day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow. Mostly you just sort of want to sit silent in front of the mystery. It's Exodus 32. It's the story of the giving of the law. I'm hoping you kept in mind how glorious the splendor of the human heart that trusts it is loved. I have two questions. What is up with that calf? And did God just change his mind? Oh, what's up with that calf? It's almost comical. I mean, it's either so terrible that you fall weeping or you have to laugh. Aaron says to Moses, I threw the gold in the fire and out came a calf. I mean, if you're going to lie, make it at least reasonable. It's like an adolescent telling you my dog ate the homework. That's not even possible. Actually Aaron had asked for the gold, the very gold the Israelites had taken from the Egyptians as they left Egypt on their way th- across the Red Sea. Remember God said, "Ask the women living in your neighbors' houses for gold and silver, and so you shall plunder the Egyptians." And so they had gold and rings on their ears, and Aaron says, "Bring me the gold," and he forms a mold and he casts the image of a calf. Everyone knew he made it. They knew it was the work of his hands. And yet they worship it and they sacrifice to it and they ascribe to it all kinds of glorious things. These are the gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, it's easy to laugh at the golden calf. It just jumped out of the fire. But just beneath the formation of a golden calf is a reality that's true of all of us. The deep need for God The deep longing for God, waiting, looking for God. When the people saw Moses delayed in coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, make gods for us. Before we laugh too hard at the golden calf, understand what C.S. Lewis says. There is a God-shaped hole in all of our lives. And he was only saying differently what the 17th century French philosopher, scientist, theologian Blaise Pascal said. Put this way, this craving or longing and this helplessness proclaim that there was once in us a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This we try in vain to fill with everything around us, seeking in things that are not there, the help we cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. There's this God-shaped hole in all of our lives, looking, longing, waiting for God who seemingly delays, who seemingly is absent. My friend, pastor, therapist Chuck DeGroat puts it like this, underneath our clamoring for security and certainty is a quiet whisper, you were made for something more. You were made for something more. You were made for something more, but when God seems absent, when God seems to delay, we fill the longing with that which cannot satisfy, which that, with that which cannot meet the needs we have. We don't need golden calves. We ascribe our heart's affection and our spirit's loyalty to politicians who are going to make it all right, make gods for us. We don't need golden calves, we have grades that will define for us our worth. Make gods for us. We don't need calves. We have a boyfriend who will determine our belovedness. Make gods for us. We don't need calves. We have resources that will determine our value. Make gods for us. We don't need calves. We have families that will provide all of our needs. Make gods for us. Just beneath it is this deep, Ache, this longing for God, for God to show up, for God to act. And too quickly and too often, we give to that which can't provide our heart's affection and our spirit's loyalty. And I'm inviting you today to be honest with yourself. What are you feeling in the gap? Where is your heart's affection and your spirit's loyalty? We don't need calves. We've got so much else. What's up with the calf is the question I want you to consider. And now the second question. Did God just change his mind? And that's that's what it says. Verse 3, chapter thirty two, verse fourteen, and the Lord changed his mind about the disaster he planned to bring on his people. And that's actually also what happened in the book of Jonah, chapter three, verse 10. The Lord changed his mind. A lot of people get really uncomfortable with the idea of a God who might just possibly change his mind. Well, then what can we trust? What's true? What's up? If God's gonna change his mind, what can I rely on? There are these uh, two stories embedded in chapter 32 of the book of Exodus they they sit side by side they follow the same script juxtaposing God and Moses Here's how it goes God sees the idolatry of the people God burns hot with anger Moses begs him for compassion God changes his mind Moses sees the idolatry of the people. Moses burns hot with anger. Aaron begs him for compassion. Moses executes on his wrath. The two stories set side by side. All of which then is set alongside the book of Acts. Exodus 32, the story of the giving of the law and the killing of about 3,000. Acts 2, the story of the giving of the Spirit, and about 3,000 are baptized. The exact reversal of what took place in Exodus, now by the heart of God, offered as restoration to the people of God. And in Exodus 32, you're wondering, what's next? What will happen? In Acts 2, we get what's next. They loved God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and the prayers, and they loved neighbor. They gave to all as any had need. This deep, God's heart of love, which burned with anger at the idolatry of the people and burns with anger still, gives way to God's compassion, God's love. How glorious the splendor of the human heart that trusts it is loved. And that love begets love. That love invites us to love. Love God, love neighbor. That's the law. And on those two commands hangs everything else. God's deep and profound love for you is not meant to remain in retaliation, vengeance, anger, violence, bitterness, but rather gives way to love. Love God. Love neighbor. I can't prescribe for you what that's gonna look like in the details of your life, but I have a hunch your heart will know it. When you're, because you're loved, you're invited to love. You'll know it when you're loving God and your loving neighbor. Uh, Saint Augustine uh, puts it this way. What does love look like? It has the hands to help others. It has the feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has eyes to see misery and want. It has the ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of men. That's what, love's look, what love looks like. God's deep, unfathomable, unrelenting, unimaginable love for you calls us to love. God changed his mind so that you'll change yours. No longer going the way of violence and vengeance and anger as Moses did, but now giving away our lives for love. That's the gospel. Love God. Love neighbor. So I'm going to press on you now less than four weeks from a presidential election, and you're going to hear all kinds of voices calling for your heart's affection and your spirit's loyalty. Love God. Love neighbor. Because you're loved. I'm going to press on. In a pandemic, in a world pandemic that's been laboring on our lives for a full seven months, and there's no end date in sight. And we're exhausted. So many of us are exhausted, and the bandwidth of our hearts is so thin. Love God. Love neighbor. With racial injustice in the forefront of our moral conscience, where too many have been carrying too heavy a yoke, and now some waking up to its reality while others feel threatened. What does this say about me, and what does this mean for me? Love God. Love neighbor, because you're loved. The Lord changed his mind from hot wrath to what inspired it compassion. And he wants you to love too. How glorious the splendor of the human heart that trusts. It's loved. You're loved. You're loved, which frees you to love. Love God. Love neighbor. Change your mind.